this episode of the Restoration Today podcast is brought to you by One Tom Plumber. Hey, restoration company owners, do you want more commercial water damage jobs? Want to learn the easiest way to get them? Call One Tom Plumber at 855-TEAM-TOM. Again, that number is 855-TEAM-TOM. This episode is also sponsored by CoreLogic. From hazard and structure risk solutions to end-to-end claims and restoration job management software, CoreLogic and NextGear provide all the tools carriers and contractors need to exceed customer expectations through the entire supply chain. To learn more, visit corelogic.com restoration. Thanks so much to these sponsors and welcome to the episode. Hello there. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Restoration Today podcast. Today we are talking about one of the hottest topics in the industry. <laughs> and always these days, as you hear the laughter in the background, we were talking oh. about hiring, recruiting, and a sigh. That is fully appropriate. As much as I love Christy Sifford, I do not miss my days as a recruiter because her job is a lot of work and stressful on some days, especially in our industry. So I am joined by my great friend, Christy. She is the founder of Wylander Solutions. And we are here to talk about hiring and recruiting and what it takes to get candidates in the door and then keep them once they're in the door. So Christy, thank you very much for joining me. So for those who are not familiar with you or Wylander, give us a little bit of your background and um, explain a little bit of what Wylander is. Sure. Yep. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And for the record, we do miss you on Team Wylander (laughs) all the time. (laughs) I miss you guys. I don't miss recruiting. I know. I know. So uh, for some of you may not know, I can just go back. Um, If you would have told me 15, 20 years ago that I would end up being a recruiter in the restoration industry, I would have said, you're completely crazy. That's never going to happen. I was a school teacher for elementary school for 12 years. Um, In that time, my husband, Justin, had his own flooring business and I was doing his bookkeeping on the weekends over the summer. And then finally, about in 2010, I think it was, I left full-time teaching to basically become his controller, director of accounting. Um, Long story short, that business merged with a cleaning and restoration company. So it's kind of how we got our foot into restoration, I guess you could say. Um, That grew very quickly. Um, We had the opportunity to to leave that role. Uh, We sold our shares and got into recruiting and we haven't looked back since. So um, I've been recruiting in this space for 10 years. Wylander's coming into its eighth year in business. Um, We have eight recruiters that work with us. We're fortunate to have the team that we have. We're blessed every day. They understand our clients, their pain points of not having the right fit in the company. I think we have some of the most tenacious recruiters in the industry because they just won't give up no matter how many candidates they've sent to a client how many no's they've gotten, how many people they've sourced. Um, they just, they keep going until they find the right person. So that's a, that's a nutshell. Um, I've worked with Justin exclusively since 2010. So what is that? 13 years? 13 years. That's impressive. Yeah. Husband and wife teams. <laughs> that's kind of how our industry runs, right? Our husband and wife teams and yeah, yeah getting it going. Sure. Okay, so... I think the hardest, the biggest challenge right now is the ground level of finding people. So how have you seen mm-hmm. um, seen that change in the last three to five years, maybe from like a pre-pandemic world to a post-pandemic mm-hmm. world, even like mm-hmm. where are candidates? How, how, should, how should people be finding them today? Well, I can say the post and pray method does not work. I think we've known that doesn't work for a very, hasn't worked for a very long time. 
Yep. Um, we're in a candidate driven market. You know, we remind our clients all the time that your peers are looking for the same people you're looking for. And if that person has solid work history, a great track record, they're not looking for a job. People are seeking them, you know, um, our candidate pool, I feel kind of shrinks every day. Um, and what I mean by that is those in the industry that are qualified looking for work, they're not the ones that are clicking the apply now button on your Indeed ad or your career builder ad or, or anything like that. You know, they, they have good connections. So if Tom, who's been working nine years at ABC Restoration and he's looking to leave, I guarantee you he has a connection with somebody in the industry that's willing to hire him yes. um, right away. So, you know, that passive candidate pool for us is huge. Three out of four of our hires come from the passive market, meaning they weren't looking for jobs. Our recruiters basically stalked them by all means necessary to get them interested in the role. And that's what we have to do. You have to be active in your recruiting efforts all the time. You know, I know something you and I have talked about is <clears throat> how it's changed, you know, yeah. Um, we've seen a, a really big shift in more of a digital recruiting and sourcing methods, right? People are using all sorts of methods to find candidates via their public profiles, yeah. whether it's LinkedIn or they have a resume out there. And because your sourcing is only limited by what they put on their public profile, that's narrowed and made that market even tighter as well. And so I tell our recruiters all the time that sometimes we can get a false sense of qualification for those people. Yeah. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've reached out to a candidate and sent their screening and their resume over to a client. And they're like, well, I would have never talked to this person based on the resume. But after reading your screening notes, they are way more qualified than what they have. You know, mm -hmm. people don't, I mean, if someone's been in a job for 10 years and they're writing a resume for the first time, they don't, they're not experts at it. And people who are experts at resume writing, they're probably not the ones you're looking to hire in your business in the first place. Yes. So, and that can go the other way. You can have the expert resume writer who has used all the buzzwords and boasted about how awesome they are. And you get them on the phone and they have no idea when you ask them, well, tell me about the annual revenue that you've written and produced for your company. And they're like, I don't know. Or they give you some crazy number and you're like, tell me more. Yeah. Like, more. I mean, we've had that, right? We have yeah. a, a mitigation and it's like, yeah, I can do $3 million a year in mitigation. I'm like, are you, do you sleep ever? Because <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. That's a whole lot. What's the so. average size mitt job you're running if you're running $3 million in mitt in a year? Please tell yeah. me. Yes. It better be like $800,000. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So. Okay. So talk about kind of on this topic, the idea of being open to looking outside the industry as well. I think that that ties into looking at resumes. Oh my gosh, I never would have talked to this person or whatever, mm -hmm. but there have been some really successful hires by companies that are willing to look outside the industry. Whereas you can get kind of bad habits if you are just focused on, I only mm -hmm. want somebody that knows exact mate, for example, that's always like the one that sticks in my brain. Cause mm -hmm. That is often a requirement when that's something that mm -hmm. can change, right? So what's your take on that? Um, I think you're limiting your candidate pool by not going beyond what's, what's in our industry, um, especially when we're talking about construction project managers. 
I mean, I get all the time from clients, you know, the insurance restoration is so much different. They have to understand insurance restoration to be able to put somebody's home back together. And I get that. I know there's a valuable piece in that, but we can train that piece pretty quickly. We can't give them the construction knowledge overnight that they're bringing to the company. And that's the same with an estimator. You know, it's, it's a software piece. You know, I've, I've had clients say, I think it'll take me two years to teach them how to use Xactimate, which I've done some research. I've asked other folks and they're like, no, it really shouldn't take that long. I, for us as a recruiting company, when they're coming to us, they've probably already been looking or posting for a couple months. And now that training window that they had to train somebody has now shrunk and they're losing production. They're losing out on, on revenue because they can't keep up with it. So I remind my clients, really position yourself to be able to train those skills you can yep. and hire for the person, hire for the culture, hire for the fit, hire for their personality, their morals, values, and ethics. That you can't train. They're coming to you with that, but you can train software pieces like Xactimate in what is the insurance restoration industry. Yes. So, okay. So how long should the hiring process take from start to finish? I know I'm jumping around on questions and you're a preparer. And so I'm sorry, I'm doing that to you. No, but... it's okay. Don't worry about it. No, it's good. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, the time frame can vary, right? Um, you know, that saying time kills all deals. Well, we have the saying time kills all hires. And that goes along with the whole hire slow, fire fast, all yep. of that. And I will say that you have to have a solid interview process. If you have that in place of what step one is all the way till the offer letter, things will just will move along much smoother. You know, our recommendation is we do a phone screening with all of our candidates before we send them to our client. It's a 30, 45 minute detailed phone screening. And we recommend a minimum of at least two face-to-face -face interviews. Some positions are going to have a third, like your higher level general managers, controllers. I even suggest the lunch or dinner because it's important for you to see how they interact with the wait staff, the hostess out in a non-interview setting, right? Um, you know, it. a lot of times they feel that when they find that very first candidate and they really love them, they're like, oh, maybe I should wait and put this one on the back burner and see what else is out there, you know? And I've used that analogy before. I'm sure you've heard me say this. If you were in the middle of the ocean with your family and all you had to eat was the fish you caught, would you throw back the fish that didn't feed the whole family? Or would you keep the fish that fed half your family and keep fishing? You know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of scenario, right? So if you find the candidate, just put them through the paces, put them through those steps. And, and in reality, it is reasonable to think that you can have two face-to-face -face interviews within seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. That that should not be unreasonable. You know, that's a reasonable time, not four weeks, you know, where we've had, we've had that happen where it, you know, clients are like, well, it's going to take me three to four weeks to really, you know, make a decision where that, this is a perfect example, that mitigation project manager we know is one of the hardest roles to fill in the industry. Yes. And in all states, all markets, I don't care where you are. And if you find that person who has the IICRC certifications and they're able to run those projects and they fit everything you're looking for, just put them through the paces. Because I can guarantee you, if your recruiter called them, whether it's me or a recruiter in your company, another recruiter is calling them too. 
because yes, they answer my resume call, is out there. <laughs> they answer my call, so they're gonna answer somebody else's call. They guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, so talking about like modern vetting of em- potential <clears throat> employees as well, you know, I feel like reference checks are kind of a yes and no game, right? Like people are yeah. running reference checks right now. So what do you recommend clients do? What should they be checking when it comes to like the final steps here of if they're going to hire somebody or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you had asked, you know, we've talked about reference checks versus social media and all of that stuff. So that's tough. So we'll talk about both. Um, nobody's going to give you a bad reference check. No. A candidate is not going to give you a list of people that say, hey, call this person. They thought I was a bad employee, right? For the most part, they're giving you people that have been vetted. I can say there's a couple flags we've had in the past. If references just won't call you back on a candidate, that means they've told the candidate, sure, I'll give you a reference, but they really have no intentions yeah. of talking to anybody about your work history or your their previous work experience with you. Um, we use DISC personality profile here for all of our candidates that are in a reference check stage. And so we wanna make sure we have alignment between what references are saying, how the interviews went, what their disk assessment said. So everything's kind of lining up properly. And, you know, when it comes to social media, 92% of employers will look at a candidate's social media page. So they will, right? I mean, that a lot of times that will dictate if they're going to bring the person in for an interview or not. But really, if you're going to use it, do it early because you're only checking social media for abnormalities. You're just making sure that they align with you and your company culture, right? And I always tell my candidates or clients, just be cautious. Don't send an email to a candidate. You're disqualifying them due to the inappropriate content on their social media page. So might not go so well. Right. And overall, they're both important. And it's all part of the puzzle that puts a candidate together, right? All those little pieces how they interacted with you in the very beginning, their communication, their resume, their screening, their interviews, their reference checks, whatever, is all what makes up that candidate in that little box there. So the candidates who are getting hired and the companies who are making good hires, what are what are their offers looking like in general at this point? Like, you know, I don't know how much you want to talk to it, but you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations about how salary ranges have changed, for example, for like project managers and estimators. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to offer a $50,000 base, you're going to have problems no matter what market you're in. Right. So can you speak at all to what you're seeing as far as like base salary ranges? What you don't have to put percentages on bonuses, but like how often are is bonus in there? What are some of the other like vacation time, those kind of normal mm-hmm. things that are getting worked into offers that are pulling the candidates into your clients versus them taking another offer? Right. So um, let's tackle pay first. You're right. Pay has changed a lot, you know, changed a lot since the pandemic. I think a lot of it's um, due to the competitive competitiveness of candidates. I mean, I would say late 2020, early 2021, we were having candidates that were being hired on their initial Zoom call. And not our candidates, but candidates would call us and say, I'm sorry, I have to cancel my interview. I accepted another call for a company out in Louisiana, for example. I start tomorrow or start next week. And we questioned them. They're like, oh, I did a Zoom call. They hired me right after the Zoom interview. So that was happening a lot more. I think some of our clients get into this, well, I'm just going to pay them a ton of money. I'm going to throw a bunch of money at them to, to get them in here. 
when really it may not be the right the right fit. Um, I can tell you because you had asked, you know, average for a PM estimator, they're super similar. We're not hiring a project manager anymore for less than 60, 65 base yep. in any market. You know, I recently had a discussion with a client who really went into cost of living. Well, my cost of living here is less. And I get that, but if I'm making 70,000 and I'm offered a job making 60,000, I'm going to look at that as a step back in my career versus a growth forward in my career. It, you know, it's just, even if, even if they're, even if I'm going to be making the same amount of money because my rent's going to be less or the cost of housing is less, just mentally for yeah. them, they're taking a step back in their career. Yes. Um, so, okay. So talk about other things that you're seeing companies offer. I know that there are some that have kind of unique benefits that they're throwing in there that can help draw people in. I know culture can be a big thing. So beyond the base salary expectations, mm -hmm. what's really drawing candidates in what's helping close the deal? So I would say strong PTO mm -hmm. is important as we're hiring younger workforce. They want to have time off. Um, very rarely are we seeing candidates accept a job where they have to work a year before they're granted any time off. And that was, you know, way back then. Well, after after a year, you get five days off. So we like to suggest 90 days. The accrual method is great because the number of hours they worked, they earn towards, yep. towards those hours. Um, <clears throat> bonus packages for most positions in the company are important project managers, estimators, production managers. Um, they want to see them. And if you're not offering some type of commission to say your estimators, you're not competitive with what your peers are offering those estimators. And so we want to make sure we get the information out there, give you ideas of what we're seeing. Um, there's a, a lot of resources to figure that out. Um, to make sure that what you're offering candidates is competitive to the person 10 miles down the road as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> I, back in the day, I used to go straight for you, dear Christy Collins, which was very fun. And you and I have shared a lot of stories over the years, right? So share some of the, some candidate don't do's and some client don't do's. Like we've had stories of we don't need to identify anybody or call anybody out, no. but there are some definite like, <laughs> all right, people, when you are doing interviews, let's not do this or whatever. So yeah, you have uh, you yeah. So let's start on the candidate side. Um, don't do Zoom interview from your bed. Just not, <laughs> it's not good practice <laughs> at all. Um, don't show up late to an interview. Yeah. Um. I would say don't show up drunk or high. Don't. Yep. Yep. That has happened at noon on a Friday intoxicated for an interview. And that was an upper level candidate. That wasn't like. Person. Um, I would say if you are going to be late, you know, at least 30 minutes ahead of time that you're not going to make your interview. Right. I mean, you know, and I, I had it happen this week locally where I live. Um, we have one road in, one road out. And when there's an accident on that road, you are stuck. Yep. And that candidate texted me right away. 
hey, we're creeping along. And he was still an hour, 45 minutes from the location. He goes, I'm going to be late. My arrival at this time with this traffic is showing like 15 minutes after. So I let the client know it was no big deal. Um, <clears throat> I'd say the biggest pet peeve is, is when they don't show up for the interview and we question them. They're like, oh, I had to go get my kid. They were sick at school. And I get that. I understand family first, but our cellular devices are right here. And usually I've texted you to set up the interview. So those, those are probably my candidate ones. Clients, same thing. Don't show up late to an interview. If you're not going to tolerate rescheduling because they're late, they're not going to want to come work for you if you're late to an interview. Um, I've had clients do an interview on a treadmill before for an upper level position. Um, I've had clients do an interview for a $150,000 general manager in shorts and or swim trunks and flip-flops because they were on their way to the lake. So those all set the tone of your company. That's the impression you're giving those candidates and candidates that are serious about their career and their growth and where they want to be. They not, don't necessarily want to work in that type of environment either. Yes, that is, that is absolutely true. There's um, probably a ton more, but. <laughs> I know that we get you and I, whoever's listening to this, you can talk to Christy and I off camera and <clears throat> you can share way more stories than I can. Um, I had another question and it totally just left me. What are some of your favorite interview questions or questions that you think really are a little, I know, a little outside the box that really show maybe someone's character or whether or not they're a good fit, like those kind of things. Yep. Um, I like particularly right now is finding out what qualities or characteristics they want to see in their manager. Mm -hmm. So they understand kind of the personality of, of their manager. I know it's old fashioned. Um, I still like strengths and weaknesses. And the only reason why is I don't like it when someone tells me they don't have a weakness. I think everybody has something to work on. And that's really mainly the only reason why we still ask that question is we do have candidates that are like, I don't know, I can't think of anything. I, I can't think of anything that I'm bad at. And that that's just not possible. Everybody has something they need to work on. Yes, yes. Um, and okay, going, going back to DISC as well, I wanted you to elaborate mm -hmm. a little bit more on what DISC is and how that can help not only with kind of the seeing if they fit into the company, but also the role. I mean, DISC personalities can be really um, specific mm -hmm. to roles. It's funny if you get, you're looking for a certain role and the DISC pops up and you're like, yeah. So talk more about right. that. So Justin, my husband and partner, he's a certified DISC consultant. Um, we use DISC. Every candidate that we are presenting or being offered a job has has done the DISC assessment. Um, it's a piece of the candidate's puzzle, right? And there are roles in a company that we look heavily at DISC for. For example, uh, director of accounting, controller, um, that's probably one. We need them to have a pretty high level C personality. C personality, that's me, I, I'm, that's how I am. Um, they are very analytical. They're preparers, they, they're very cautious and calculating everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of person you want looking at your finances versus the outgoing, talking, party person. They're probably never going to be in their office doing their work because they're out about visiting with everybody else around there. Um, <clears throat> on a side note of, of 
positions in the industry. I think the estimator, honestly, is the hardest position personality-wise in our industry. And I think it's because we want them to be detailed in writing their estimates, but we're also asking them to sell. And most C personalities are pretty introverted. They, they're not very outgoing and we need that person to be outgoing. So some of your best estimators are selling through a consultative approach. They're just flooding somebody with all the education and reasons why they should use the company versus selling in a traditional like business development type way. Yep. Yep. That is absolutely true. But okay, anything- on a side note, just real quick, because I want to yeah. caution. I just want to make a, a disclaimer yep. here. We don't ever use this as a, I don't think any assessment should be used as a, re- as a reason of why or why not to hire somebody, right? Um, if you have a disc that comes in or a personality profile or a caliper or whatever you're using and you have questions, in your next interview, build questions around their weaknesses to see if they've come up with ways to overcome those or manage those in some other some other fashion instead of just saying, oh, it says they can't do it, so they must not be able to do it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes good sense. Okay. Anything else you want to add about recruiting restoration, anything related to that that we haven't talked about? (sighs) There's a lot on this topic. There, there is a lot. Um, What are you finding? Okay. Let's talk about onboarding really quick because we didn't talk about onboarding. I know that's part of the equation. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So talk about onboarding. Once there's a new hire coming in, it doesn't stop there. You can't just like on their first day, be like, welcome, here's your desk, toodles. Mm-hmm. So what does the onboarding process look like and how does that help with retention? That's probably the number one misstep that restoration companies make. You know, they have the signed off where they're like, okay, good, I'm done. Michelle's starting, here's your stuff. Go for it, knock yourself out, right? Um, your hiring process really doesn't start, stop until that person is completely onboarded in your organization. So you've set up their first day of work, you've set up their first week, you're meeting within the second week, their third week, the fourth week. Because I can tell you right now, if you have a candidate that you're really excited about and she or he are excited about coming to work for you and they get there and you give them a response like, hey, we need you to go ahead and go to the IRS website, print out your W-4, fill that out for us, turn it in. If you don't seem prepared for them, that's, it's, it's just a bad first impression. It really is bad first impression. Yeah. What things, sorry, keep going. No, no, go. So what other, I mean, I feel like there's simple things with onboarding to like, you know, what makes it, I mean, there are companies that have a welcome package versus again, nothing, go print onto your form or whatever. Mm-hmm. See you later. What are like the small touches that you've heard of companies doing that do seem to really make a difference long term mm-hmm. with with new hires? Yep. So what you said, welcome package is perfect because everybody you hire is going to get the same package. So just yep. print them out in mass, put yep. them in nice folders. I love the little welcome signs when they come into the office. Mm-hmm. They've welcomed them. Um, sometimes they've provided maybe breakfast for them at their desk, or they take them to lunch just something to make them feel like they're welcome there. Um, have somebody assigned to them that is their kind of mentor, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. for the company. So if they have a, a question about some type of technology, they feel it's okay to go to their first day buddy, whatever you want to call it, 
yep. and talk to that person instead of going into HR or going to the owner. Because a lot of times our owners, who are small companies, they are the hiring manager. They're the one doing the interviews, the hiring, they're approving our offers. So they feel like that's the person they have to go to for their questions. Yes. Don't forget to show people where the bathroom is. They don't always know you don't want them holding it for the first day because you didn't even- That's true. That's a good one. Very good. (laughs) Yep. That's a good Um, reminder. When does, does onboarding ever stop or is it kind of an ongoing process? Well, I mean, you end up transferring from onboarding to evaluation, right? Yeah. So I think at some point in your company, based on what position it is and in your training plan, every role in your company should have some type of training plan written, you're going to convert from onboarding to check-ins and evaluations of that person. Um, I recently, we recently had a, a situation where the candidate has been there less than 30 days. <clears throat> they feel that maybe it's not working out. And the recruiter posed the question, well, have you discussed this with them? Have you talked about some improvement, process improvements? And their comment was like, well, no, but she should know she's not doing a very good job. So people don't know if you're not saying anything to them. And also based on their personality, she had the personality where she needs direct feedback. She wants you to tell her, Michelle, you're not meeting this expectation. These are the things we need you to do. She didn't have the personality where she needed the pat on the back. And they assumed that since they weren't patting her on the back and cheering about how well she was doing, she should automatically assume that she's not doing well in her role. Huh. Yep. Okay. Communication is key. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. All right. Now, anything that we haven't talked about, we could go on and on about this. So. Yeah, I would say, I think in closing, if I had, if I have the attention of everybody in the restoration industry, my biggest advice is have an interview process and move your candidates efficiently through that process. Don't assume that they're going to be there for two or three weeks for you to, to come around to when you finally have made a decision. And I know that sometimes when you've only talked to two people, you're kind of nervous. Am I going to make the right choice? But if that candidate is checking everything off, culture, quality, qualifications, they've gone through all those paces or communications good, then then you've made it, then you're making a good hire. Now there's crystal ball stuff. Some things can go wrong. And that's, that's just part of hiring and owning your own business. If you find a unicorn that fits your position, don't drag your feet, please hire the unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. Surrounding you hire them. I, I do like it when a client calls and says, okay, I'm looking for a unicorn. They already know that it's going to be a tough role. Yes. Yes. They're aware. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to seeing you at a lot of shows this year. For people who are listening, you can find more at wylander.com. They also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. There's You can find them everywhere. Lots of information about hiring, best practices, all of that, onboarding, lots of information through their website. So be sure to check that out. And thanks again, Christy. Awesome. Thank you. For more restoration today and the latest news, visit our website, cnrmagazine.com and find the latest episodes of the Restoration Today podcast on your favorite podcasting platform.